Mastering Money, the Educator's Edition, where we talk about the latest in financial literacy education. I'm Doretta Thompson, Financial Literacy Leader for Chartered Professional Accountants of Canada, where we provide no-cost programs and free online resources that help Canadians own their finances and learn the language of money. You can find our podcast on Podbean, iTunes, Google Play, and wherever else you find your podcasts. Please do rate and review us. And if you have any questions, you can get in touch with us at financialliteracy at cpacanada.ca. Today, we're talking about debt. And who better to join us than Laurie Campbell, the CEO of Credit Canada. Hi, Laurie. Hi there. Good. Great to have you drop by. My pleasure, Doretta. So, Laurie, for anyone unfamiliar, uh, tell me a bit about Credit Canada's mission and operations. So, Credit Canada's mission is both preventative and remedial. And what we're trying to do, and what we've been trying to do for the last 50 years that Credit Canada has been in existence, is to help people improve their financial literacy skills and understand how to use credit and debt properly. And on the other side, if they become financially indebted and they're struggling, we work with the individuals and the creditors to help them resolve that financial situation. So tell me a little bit, big picture, about what the Canadian personal debt scene looks like right now. Well, Doretta, it's bad. I, I mean, I don't want to be the, the uh, you know, the one who says doom and gloom, but it's pretty bad out there. And I'll give you an example. For every dollar Canadian makes, they owe a dollar eighty. Now let's keep that in perspective, where in 1990, for every dollar a Canadian made, they owed 90 cents. So we've doubled our debt in the last 30 years. And if we look at it this way, at the top of the financial crisis in the U.S., we call it the subprime crisis of 2008-9, for every dollar an American made, they owed a dollar sixty-five. So we've surpassed this. We know that individuals are in trouble. We know that they're using their lines of credit and home equity lines of credit to help bridge the gap between their income and their expenses. And we also know that payday loans, for example, are at record use as well because of the indebtedness and the inability to turn elsewhere to borrow more. It's a rather frightening picture. It is a frightening picture. I do think that, you know, as Canadians, we can turn it around, but it's going to take some hard work. So tell me a little bit about the people you help, um, because I think that that you know, there's some myth-busting that needs to go on about who is in debt. And there's this assumption that people with high incomes don't have these problems. So tell me a little bit about what debt looks like at that personal level. Okay, well, debt at that personal level is everybody. You know, it's kind of like those, one of the, you always say cancer has no demographic. Debt has no demographic either. And so what we see are people on social assistance, and we peop- see doctors and lawyers and, and everywhere in between as well. And the one, uh, you know, common denominator is they've spent more than they're earning and they're struggling to keep up with their financial situation and it causes so much stress for them and they have nowhere else to turn so they start to figure out what's best for them by coming through to Credit Canada. That misunderstanding of the difference between living within your income and living within what you can finance. (laughs) Exactly. You know, it's interesting because, you know, we know, for example, that divorce... Uh, wreaks havoc on personal finances. We know that health problems do as well and job loss. Without a doubt, that can create huge debt for individuals. But the number one reason for bankruptcy or insolvency is mismanagement. So we know individuals at a personal level can turn their situation around and learn to manage their finances better so they don't find themselves in this trap. 
the difference between credit counseling and bankruptcy insolvency. How does that affect people, both in terms of the process of going through it and what the longer term outcomes are? Well, you know, what we look at as far as financial situations and solutions to them, let's call it that, Doretta. So, you know, individuals, we ask individuals before they even consider a bankruptcy to come to Credit Canada or credit not-for-profit credit counseling services which are available across Canada. And the reason is they can get an objective point of view as to what the best solution for their options is. And it could be something as simple as getting a line of credit to clear up that high interest debt, then paying that off and not creating any more high interest debt. That's number one. It could be selling their house. Maybe they're house poor and they really can't afford it. It could be that their vehicle has cost them way more than it should and that money could be applied to uh, to their debt. Getting a part-time job. It could be, you know, just a budgeting problem. Maybe they're spending way too much in areas that they need to cut back in. So those are the least severe options. As we move on, it could be a debt management program, which is offered through not-for-profit credit counseling services. And with this, we ask creditors to stop interest and reduce payments so they actually can get somewhere. And the individual cannot use credit while on the program. Usually takes, you know, three to four years to repay it. And once they're done, there's a creditor reestablishment program with a couple of creditors that we work with. The next would be a consumer proposal. Now, with a consumer proposal, it's under the Insolvency Act and it's with a trustee in bankruptcy, what you're saying is that I can't pay this full amount out, but I can pay a portion of it out. It might be 40%. What needs to occur, though, is you cannot have greater assets than what you offer the creditors. So you can't be sitting on a million-dollar house and offer the creditors, you know, $40,000 back. So your assets cannot outweigh the proposal that you offer. Worst case scenario is a bankruptcy. And this really is a financial death, I call it. And, and I don't mean it in a, in a glib way, but it really is. You're saying I can't pay the creditors any time in, in the foreseeable future, and I, I have no assets uh, to help satisfy this, and I really have no other option. And it's an opportunity to start over and get a fresh start. With a debt management program that's offered through an organization like Credit Canada, once they're finished the program, the information will stay on the credit bureau for two years. With a consumer proposal where you're offering to pay a portion of the debt out, the information will stay on the credit bureau for three years after successfully completing that proposal. With an insolvency, it'll show for six to seven years uh, from either date of filing or date of discharge. Now, keeping in mind, Doretta, that um, an insolvency is a public record that is on the records forever. It's important for our, for our listeners to understand the difference um, and also as they're working with people or as they're developing their financial literacy programs that they're able to explain that difference and help people to understand the challenges. Exactly. I think it's really important that individuals get, um, you know, really solid information before they make any serious decisions such as an insolvency because it's, it's life impacting and there are outcomes to it that people may not realize. Mm -hmm. Can you tell me a little bit about what happens, how do people get into this situation before they reach out for help? You know, it's really interesting, um, and I think this is an excellent question because there's so many components to it. People do struggle for a long time, and it's, it's like a creep effect. You know, people slowly get into debt, and they don't even realize that as long as they have some cushion or room on their 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 on their credit card or on their line of credit, they think they're okay. And there's also a really huge sense of shame around 
money. You don't sit around the dinner table and talk about your debt. You might talk about your savings and your assets or what great interest return you're getting on your investments, but you're certainly not talking about your debt. It's a very shameful discussion. We're trying to open it up at Credit Canada as you are here, Doretta, to, to ensure that people are more comfortable talking about it. So that's one big aspect. The other one is that it impacts so many different areas of life. You know, there's a saying that money doesn't buy happiness. Just tell that to someone in debt and they will, they will argue that it really does. <laughs> Just money get out of debt. <laughs> money can't solve your problems. Yeah, money can solve the problems that can be solved by money, and there yes, are a lot of them. Exactly. There are a lot of problems that can be solved by money. So what we see at Credit Canada is people are not sleeping. They're having health problems. They're, they're really not taking care of themselves. Uh, there may be some addiction problems that go along with their financial situation because they can't cope with it. We know gambling is a huge issue. We've worked with OLG on this issue. And we know they're not concentrating at work. So these are all in the relationship problems may exist because of their financial situation. So we know that we need to take a holistic approach to their financial problem. And we know that by the time people come into Credit Canada, it's the first time they've talked to anybody often about their finances. It's, it's unbelievable. And they, as you say, may have been suffering for years and just borrowing from one credit card to pay another or not even or avoiding phone calls, avoiding opening their mail. And finally, they're sitting down to talk to somebody. And the question that they inevitably ask, which I find really interesting is, am I the worst you've ever seen? Really? Always, always. It doesn't matter whether they owe $1,000 or $100,000. They always think they're so shameful and so fearful of opening up. They often think that they're the worst person or worst financial situation that yeah. anyone's seen. I think that, you know, money is such a loaded topic because money isn't just money. I mean, money is symbolic in our society of success. It's a symbol uh -huh. of possibility. It's just, it has all this positive emotion attached to it. So the flip side of debt is that negative side, exactly. the shame, the, the yeah. judge, feeling judged. Is that something you hear about? Absolutely. Like, let's face it, everywhere you go, uh, you're a winner. You're, you, you know, you've excelled in every area of life if you have money. And as you say, the flip side is that people feel like losers. They feel so embarrassed. They feel like they, you know, they failed their family. They feel like they failed themselves, their children because of the financial situation. And you know, the sad part about it is, is that you know, once the interest starts to creep up on these, in, the, on these debts, it's often just interest that they're paying. So even though they, they borrowed money and they got themselves in debt, it's the cumulative interest at 19 to 24% on credit cards that has caused the, the, you know, the domino effect for them and make it impossible to get out of debt. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You know, it's funny, I often say when people ask, you know, about investment advice and mm -hmm. stuff like that, and one of my first things is like, are you carrying any credit card debt? Yeah. Do you want a guaranteed 20% return on your investment? <laughs> yeah, get rid of that debt. Pay off your credit card every yes, month. You know, exactly. It's, just, it's these kind of, but you have to be careful. You know, you can have a sense of humor about these things, but, but the emotional stuff is really serious. It is. And, you know, you know what, we, we try to talk a lot about changing the changing the conversation around money we need to change the conversation around money it's yes. become this last taboo there's so much shame attached to it etc we need to get it out in the open yes. how do you train your counselors work with your counselors to communicate with people in debt about those emotions around money well you know the the one cornerstone to what we do is we're non-judgmental we're compassionate we listen 
we look at their goals because we want to find out what, what's important to you. Maybe important to them is just getting out of debt. Maybe important to them is to buy a home someday. It might be to save for their children's education. So the counselors have the skills to really be compassionate and empathetic, but at the same time guide them so that they take responsibility mm -hmm. themselves for their financial situation. And also, I think it's that we understand that anybody can get themselves in financial difficulty. And I think that that's the thing, you know, our counselors always say, you know, it could be any of us. And I always say our counselors are the cheapest people I know <laughs> because they live in fear that they could, to themselves, find themselves in dip financial difficulty. Knowing that makes them understand and have that empathy that it could happen to them as well and therefore allows them to be able to um, offer guidance and solutions to individuals when they come in. And that's the one thing that we often hear from clients is that I'm so, I wasn't judged, I feel so glad. I thought for sure I was going to be reprimanded when I came in and I walked out of there feeling like a million bucks. Like, you know, like I was the hero of my own story and I could resolve this. Are there any stories that really stand out for you? There are many stories that stand out for me. I'll give you one. Now, this is a little bit of a long one, but it's, it's an interesting one. It's a story about payday loans. And we were talking a little bit before our podcast today about payday loans and the havoc they can wreak. Well, there was this older gentleman who came into one of our counselors, and he was living at the Salvation Army. And the Salvation Army recommended he come to see us. And the problem he had is he had about five payday loans. And she said, well, how did this happen? And he said, well, you know, I had my own apartment. I had a girlfriend. He was in his late 60s. And he said, um, and I have my own car. My girlfriend's dog got sick. We took it to the vet. The bill was $1,000. The vet wouldn't operate without the money. So he went to a payday loan to get the money. Got the money, dog got better. Of course, end of the month, rent comes around, but he also has to pay this payday loan. So he pays part of the payday loan. He can't afford to pay his rent. He goes and gets another payday loan to help pay his rent. Next month comes along. He has to pay his rent and two payday loans. Can't pay them. So he gets another payday loan. So you see how this is a cyclical yeah. problem. Then at the end, he lost his vehicle because he couldn't pay the insurance. And after that, he couldn't even afford to pay his rent because of all these payday loans that were outstanding. So he ended up living in the Salvation Army shelter. By the time he came to see us, he had five payday loans. He was going, taking a bus from one payday loan to the next once he got his CPP and OAS to pay his payday loans. At the end, he had to put as much for a coffee before his money ran out. Our, our counselor was able to resolve this issue, get him back in an apartment, which was fantastic, and get the payday loans off his back. And we were also able to get him qualified for guaranteed income supplement, which he did not know he qualified for. So, you know, these types of situations, and you can see how easy this could happen. Something as simple as an emergency, like a vet bill, something as simple as your car breaking down, something as simple as your roof having a leak. It can spiral, it can spiral for anybody. And so we really see very sad situations. And I'll tell you another one, which is very sad. And this kind of brings it around to how money impacts so, and how you can use money to try to fill a void. There was another story recently where this lady who was on disability, she was housebound. She had called into the counselor to talk to her. And the reason she got in debt is she started calling a psychic line. And you know, every time you call a psychic line, you have to pay. Well, she befriended one of the psychics, and you know, she was very lonely. It was someone for her to talk to, it gave her comfort. And so she started calling the psychic more and more often, started sending gifts to the psychic through Amazon. And by the time that the counselor talked to her, she had actually sent a TV to the psychic as a gift. Oh my heavens. All out of loneliness and really having no one in her life. We know there's a lot of 
companies that prey on individuals fraudulently, not companies, but people, um, dating sites and those types of things where they say that they're going to, you know, they're in love with you, but you've never met them. And they live like they're stuck in Siberia because they're, something's wrong with their bank account. People send tens of thousands of dollars to these individuals and they're lonely and they're looking for someone that really pretends to care about them. So tell me about how, how the payday loans work and how that interest gets so out of control. So Doretta, we do have usury in Canada and 60%. So anything over 60% would be considered usury. Payday loan legislation actually is provincially legislated and falls under a different sort of um, um, interest environment because it's, because it's only every two weeks. You have to pay back the whole thing in two weeks. So if you borrow $1,000, you'd be required to give the $1,000 plus $115 back at the end of those two weeks. Now, that doesn't seem like too much, but you multiply that over 52 weeks or you know the number of weeks that, that uh, a payday loan would be um, if it were a long-term loan, and that is 300 plus percent in interest. So it falls under a different category. And so what happens to individuals if they have several payday loans, and, and at Credit Canada, we've seen people with 20 payday loans plus. So you can imagine how much money they're actually throwing towards trying to get rid of these payday loans and trying to juggle them all is crazy. And there's, this is the other thing that really bothers me. The one thing that I think the province needs to look at is a payday loan database. So that if one payday loan company gives out a, a payday loan and another payday loan company, they've gone to another payday loan company to get another loan, they can see how many loans are out there in the database and say, you know what, you've already got two payday loans or whatever, you need to, at that point, you need to get some other help, like credit counseling or whatever the case may be, because you're going to find yourself in bigger difficulty. Because what happens to individuals who end up getting out payday loans is becomes a very cyclical effect. They just keep getting more and more over and over again, and all their money is going towards paying off these payday loans. It does not improve their situation. It often and most likely will make it worse. So you've talked about how Credit Canada is not just about helping individuals get out of debt, although that's clearly a very key part of your mandate, mm -hmm. but preparing people to develop the knowledge and the confidence to manage their own financial situation is also an important part of what you do. So could you tell us a little bit about that side of, of what Credit Canada does? So Credit Canada has a very wide and vast education program, and we do a lot of financial literacy work in the community and across the country. We do it through you know, online courses and those types of things, but we also do individual sessions with different types of groups. For example, we just finished a newcomer's course, which was funded through the Ministry of Citizenship and Immigration. And what we were looking at is helping newcomers adjust to their financial situation, their financial environment in Canada. So we looked at helping with fraud situations. So we educate them on, on what types of fraud is, is out there. The banking system, the credit system and managing their money and budgeting. And we worked with a number of organizations across the province to uh, facilitate this and it was a very successful program. We also run Credit Education Week, which is a national pro program, a national event, which is sponsored by many, many different corporations. And we have a, an essay contest for grade 12s, which is all very, very fun because grade 12s will write in about what's the dumbest thing I've ever done with my money and what did I learn from it. And they are often so funny, these essays. It's usually about a broken down car or a relationship gone bad and they spent all their money on it or clothes that they bought or some kind of weird investment they got themselves into. And uh, they're quite an interesting uh, read for anyone who takes the time to read them. We have about 30 
winners a year and we give out probably about $50,000 in scholarship money each year on these different essay uh, winners. We have many, many presentations across the country. We usually have a theme and this year's theme is for 2019 is money mindfulness and money moments. So what are your money moments? You know, it could have been something that you that happened to you way back when you were young or it could have been something that happened to you recently and how that has impacted you and how that's changed your outlook on money and how you actually manage it. Our listeners, as you know, are, are people who, like us, are engaged in mm -hmm. financial education and helping people get control over their money, understand the money, understand the language of money, and to help people develop the confidence to take ownership, to ask those tough questions. What advice would you give to other deliverers of financial education around building financial confidence in the face of being really troubled by, by debt, by, by di these difficult situations? The, the piece of advice I think that is very important for those delivering a message and ensuring that they, they, they garner confidence and trust is to let people know that they're not alone. I think that's key. You know, so many people live in isolation when it comes to their finances, and I shared a couple of stories in what can happen when people do live in isolation and they're not able to, to talk to others about their financial situation. It can be very devastating. So make sure people feel that there's this, a soft landing, a place of trust, a place where they can open up and talk about their financial situation, that they know it's not going to be shared with others, that they know that they're not going to be judged, that they know that this individual has the, the, the capacity to give them options and solutions on how they can move forward and that they get the right resources that are available. You know, there's so many scammers out there that are willing to take anybody's money. We talk about credit repair is a huge problem in Canada right now and there's not enough legislation around it and people are being ripped off. So to make sure that, they, that they're a voice of reason, a voice of confidence and a voice of trust. Those are very key factors in being able to help people resolve a financial situation. Talk to me a little bit about credit repair. I know that this is um, is something that's really starting to move into Canada in a big way. It's been a problem in the U.S. for, for longer. Um, often these things do tend to move up yes, over the border. Yes. Let's go into a little bit of detail around that. It's one of my biggest pet peeves right now, credit repair, and, and the way that individuals are being totally ripped off and scammed. So the way credit repair works is you might have a company that you that will advertise we can repair your credit, uh, you know, and get you back in shape so you're you're you have a good credit score. So if someone has a bankruptcy on their file or is bad debt, they will contact this company and this company will say, well, look, what we're going to do is we're going to lend you, you know, three thousand dollars and you're going to pay it back every month. And as you pay it, we'll report to the bureau, the credit bureau, that you are paying as agreed but we're not gonna give you the $3,000. It's a fake loan. So you're just gonna pay us the money and we will report to the Bureau that you're paying on time and you're really paying for the improved credit report. We will give you something like a, you know, a little uh, computer or something like that, kind of laptop or something like that to check your progress. Often they, they don't work and they're, they're in bad shape. And that will be the exchange for the money that you're giving us. So a $50 refurbished console that you can check your credit rating for the $3,000 you're gonna pay over time to improve your credit rating. The problem is, is that if you have an insolvency or bankruptcy or any kind of bad debt on your file, one good trade line is not gonna help you anyway. That's number one. Number two, if you don't pay, they start reporting you as a bad debt. 
you, so you're, you're not, if you don't pay on a loan that you never got, they report you as a bad debt. It's a complete scam. I've contacted our provincial ministry about it. It's happening all over Canada, and provincial ministries are dealing with it in different ways. I know they have their eyes on this issue, but we need to get this off the market. I mean, this is a huge problem in Canada right now. Shame seems to be something that prevents people from looking for the information they need, let alone the help they need, just taking that first step. How do you think educators can proactively tackle that shame issue? I'll give you a story to, to start this off because it's, it's, it, it amazes me. I was driving my daughter, who's 20, 20 years old at the time, and her, her friend downtown to an event, and uh, my daughter was saying to me in the car, I'd like to get a credit card. And I said, well, you know you have to pay it off every month if you get one, and I'm, I don't really want you getting one too soon. And her friend pops up in the back and said, I've got a credit card. And I said, so what do you owe on it? And she said, oh, about $1,000. I said, so you pay it off every month? She says, yeah. I said, so you pay off the $1,000 every month? And she said, or whatever's owing on it. And she said, no. I said, well, you just said you paid it off. She says, yeah, I pay what they ask. I said, but that's the minimum payment. She goes, yeah, but that's what they're asking me for. I said, you're paying interest on the amount that's outstanding. And she said, no, I'm not. I'm paying what they ask. I said, no, you're, it took me 10 minutes to explain that there's a balance that's carried over from one month to the other. You're paying interest at 19%. And she honestly thought she wasn't paying interest. So, you know, we need, we need some education in this country, and we need it quick. She, I, I, I think I drilled it into her so much that she paid it off because she's at her house all the time, and I kept asking her about it. But, you know, the, the bottom line is, is that we need a lot of, we, we have to get this drilled into our young people, that how money works, how credit works. And unfortunately, there are a lot of adults walking around that really don't understand it either. So as a country... Um, we need. We have a lot of work to do. As educators, we need to find out where to start, and it obviously starts at the basics. And we and people don't want to talk about finances because they don't want to admit what they don't know, and it comes really down to that. They're embarrassed to admit what they what they don't know. One of the things that people often ask me is, why don't they teach this stuff in school? Yes, exactly. <laughs> and uh, I mean, I guess the good news is, um, you know, and I think that the Financial Consumer Agency of Canada's new emphasis on, on financial literacy over the last five years has, has really played a role in this. But we've seen legislation now introduced all across the country to introduce financial literacy education into, um, into the schools, which is good news. Now it's to see how that gets implemented. Exactly. You know, we've got to, that's the problem really when you have education provincially controlled is that you can't have a national um, you know, program on financial literacy, and, but we really do need this. I mean, it's so important. And, and I'd say grade 11 and 12 are really the key years because they get jobs. They start to have you know, some of their own disposable money. Mm -hmm. They might be having a bank card at that time, cell phone plans. Mm -hmm. they're, they're getting ready for university. They're going to be bombarded by creditors trying to give them credit. So th that is the time that we really need to emphasize the need for financial literacy and a basic understanding of how credit and debt work. I believe in Ontario uh, they're planning to make it a mandatory part of the grade 10 curriculum with the uh, career, the, that mandatory career Right, course. and that, that would be fantastic because it, as I say it should be mandatory because uh, there's so many opportunities for young people to get themselves in trouble and they're very um, vulnerable and easily influenced and so this is the time that we need to get to them. You mentioned earlier 
the signs of people getting into trouble and the kinds of things that have, have preyed on them for a long time. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that you mentioned was gambling. Would you like to talk a little bit about that as a force in how people, what the warning signs are, um, what the warning signs might be to help people identify that that's a problem within their own family because that's something else that gets hidden. Uh, mm -hmm. And so you can get spouses discovering huge amounts of debt that they didn't know about. Absolutely, and we've seen it so many times at Credit Canada where one spouse is completely unaware that they've blown through money. And I mean blown through it. So really, uh, unexplained cash advances for sure is a big sign. Credit cards that the spouse was not aware of, that they may have taken out lines of credit against something that they weren't aware of as well. Inability, you know, to pay their fair share of the household finances. Disappearing. I mean, they're, you know, you have to gamble somewhere. It could be even, you know, staying up late at night gambling online, which mm -hmm. is becoming a huge problem. And, you know, it's a chicken and the egg thing, really, Doretta. Do they gamble because they're in debt or are they in debt because they gamble? And that's something you have to differentiate between. It's an addiction and it's a, it's a very hard thing for people to to move away from. So it, it does take soft hands and it, again, it takes no judgment in speaking with these individuals. And while Credit Canada does see a lot of individuals who self-proclaim that they're, they're gambling, we do send them to the right counseling organizations to deal with that because we're not the experts in this area. Um, we can recognize and, and see the problem as it exists, but uh, we are not the ones who are going to be able to, you know, give them that strong counseling that they need uh, to get through this problem. Do you think that employers have a place to play in the financial education world um, that they can support, help identify employees and how that might work? Absolutely. I really do because, you know, let's face it, if someone has debt and they're struggling financially, they're not focusing at work. They're maybe even getting calls at work. They're fighting with their spouse at work. They're not focused. So I think it's very important for employers as part of their EAP program or uh, part of any type of messaging that they have or communications that they have with their staff to provide information on uh, different organizations that are out there to help them. Maybe blogs, maybe you know written material, whatever the case may be, on different topics. Not-for-profit credit counseling is available to help them. Um, and, you know, it, there's ways of pre presenting this information that doesn't point out that individual directly, but is it a mass, uh, I guess, delivery to everybody. So that is key. I also think creditors have a role to play. If they see individuals becoming delinquent, they really should be giving them the right resources so they can resolve this problem. And creditors are reluctant to do this because they don't want, they, they hope they'll get back on track. But without a doubt, by the time individuals miss three or four payments, they're in big trouble. Something that we're asking everybody that uh, that's that's talking to us about their programs, their thinking, etc. Do you have a personal mad money story to share? <laughs> um, well, you know, people often I've often been asked, you know, how did you grow up? Because you're, you know, you you're the CEO of a, an agency that helps you with debt, so your parents were probably really good with money and that sort of thing, and they were. My dad was an accountant; he taught us through college, and he, so he was very good with money. My mother, she was a little bit crazy. Good with money, but extreme in her thought process. So one of her friends, we were lived in Sault Ste. Marie, and one of her friends from Toronto told her that copper was going to become, they were going to get rid of copper in Canada. And so my mother literally went around to every bank and bought every penny in Sault Ste. Marie. So my, my poor dad is lugging on all these bags of pennies and putting them in our basement because my mother thought she was going to get rich on copper. <laughs> 
<laughs> so we had bags and bags of pennies in our basement. And lo and behold, coppers, you know, was in for many, many, we only got rid of the penny, what, a few years ago. So <laughs> copper was in for many years. And I remember my poor dad lugging all the money back to the bank to get it exchanged for, for uh, you know, actual cash again. And I thought, my mother's get-rich-quick schemes, you know, really kind of impact the way that I thought about money and how I thought, well, you know what, that's not really a good strategy in, in, to make money. So um, that, you know, it influenced me greatly. But she was always very, she was always so frugal with everything. And and certainly it impacted me in many ways, but truly some of the things that she did were just so eccentric as far as, you know, hand-me-down clothes of hand-me-down clothes of hand-me-down clothes that I think my sisters, I have three sisters and I kind of went a little crazy after we got uh, out, of, out of our parents' nest. And I remember getting a Bay card for, uh, in the second year university. And I just, I, at the time, I, I thought my dad would kill me. I had this credit card and it was worth, I had $300 owing on this credit card. And I had no money. And uh, I, it scared me. It really scared me. I, used, I, that's, I bought all my Christmas presents on that Bay card because, uh, you know, you're a university student, you have no money. And I remember in January thinking, how am I ever going to pay this off? And I got a job, and I scrimped, and I saved, and I paid it all off. And I thought, thank God my dad never found out because he would have been so angry with me with this bloody Bay card. Only $300 on it, but at the time it seemed like a lot of money. So it's not what you owe, it's what you can afford to pay. Right. That difference between what you can afford and what you can afford to finance. Yes. And it's like a line that over the last generation or two has just disappeared. Absolutely. And uh, at every income level. Right? Absolutely. Yes. I did want to ask you about some of the research that Credit Canada has mm -hmm. done, because I think you've got two major studies fairly recently. We've done a quite a bit of research. Well, we did a, a research project with the Ontario Lottery and Gaming around gambling. We've done uh, some research with financial planners around seniors, around financial infidelity. Uh, we've also done uh, research around Blue Monday, the bluest day of the year when people realize how much they spent over the holidays. And just the, and, and recent, more recently, around the state of the nation, about how people are feeling about finances and, and uh, how they're managing financially. So our results have shown that individuals really are scared, that they do feel that uh, they will probably have to get into further debt this year, and that they're very worried about the economy and about their jobs, about interest rates going up. And can people, um, can our listeners access that research? Do you have it online? Yes, we do. Our, our research is at creditcanada.com and it's available for individuals. That's great. Well, thank you so much. This has been a really interesting conversation, a little bit scary, um, <laughs> but also I think very positive in the sense that, you know, education and support and those conversations, there are strategies for dealing with debt, there are strategies for moving forward, and then that need for financial education to help people stay focused on their goals. Absolutely. There is hope out there. And, you know, that's the one message I would like to leave is that don't wait. Get help early because we can really, you know, turn, help you turn things around with counseling and guidance and support. This has been another episode of Mastering Money, the Educator's Edition, brought to you by Chartered Professional Accounts of Canada. If you'd like to get in touch with us, our email is financialliteracy at cpacanada.ca, and you can rate and review us on iTunes. Mm -hmm.